and your Amsasia podcast. Yo, take your red up because things ain't that bad. Maybe you should switch the target that you're aiming at. Believe perfection is a beast that they'll never catch. So never waste another day because life moves so fast. And a dream without pursuing, though they never last. Another shadow of regret I try to never cast. And always tell a truthful story if they ever ask. Welcome to the 48th episode of the Endurance Asia podcast and a recap of the Hong Kong Four Trails Ultra Challenge, the 11th edition which happened over Chinese New Year in 2022. Um, Really amazing chat today. We got on one of the the finishers, Richard Kimber, um, to talk about the challenge, the event, how it all played out. Um, just a really incredible story and an incredible guy, great human being, just uh, just exudes this positivity that is infectious and, um, uh, and loved speaking to him, loved learning from him and I think you all learn a lot too. Rick and I catch up after the interview with Richard to talk about all of the other unbelievable competitors that turned up at Toon Moon to take on the monstrous Hong Kong Four Trails Ultra Challenge, the 298 kilometres covering the McElhose, uh, the Wilson Trail, the Hong Kong Trail and Lantau Trail all back to back. Um, it was an epic follow uh, over the uh, over the course of Chinese New Year with so many stories, so many um, failures so many unbelievable successes and um and and inspiring stories so we'll get into a little bit of that with with rick but first and foremost let's uh, chat with uh, with mr richard kimber and uh, find out how the event went for him that a truthful story if they ever ask stop the complaining because things ain't that bad Mr. Richard Kimber, welcome to the Endurance Asia podcast. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Like, first question: How are you doing, sir? How are you recovering a, a week after having uh, having finished the uh, the Hong Kong Four Trails? I'm feeling all right, Scott. Thank you. I'm actually sitting on a foam roller uh, right now and uh, feeling feeling pretty good. Actually, quite hungry to get moving again after a week of relative inactivity. I, I take it you've uh, you've had a complete sort of like um, uh, done nothing this week, 100% recovery, um, and uh, I suppose eating a lot, trying to sleep. But what's what's the recovery been like over this past week? Yeah, I've not done a lot. It's been quite a different week for uh, for me relative to, of course, the last few months. Um, luckily, I haven't had to be running all over the place for work, which is a bit more typical of my normal working schedule. So that's been a big relief. Um, but I've been trying as best I can to pretend I'm a professional athlete just like we all do when we recover by um, sleeping a lot eating a lot um, trying to have some turmeric which people say is good um, having some yeah. having some uh, some salt baths which I'm fortunate to be able to have because I finally have a bathtub uh, in the apartment I'm living in for the first time um, and uh, compression socks ice on the knees ice on the ankles um, trying to rotate the ice on and off with a, a couple of uh, hot water bottles just to try and get the blood flowing again in what were pretty two painful areas for me. So, um, yeah, I've been doing my best to keep my legs elevated, all the, all the typical stuff. But, I mean, I think it does help. And I've seen a huge improvement in 
the uh, the attractiveness of my ankles, for example, over the last <laughs> few days, they've gone from looking uh, like tree trunks down to looking like my actual ankles uh, in the last uh, three or four days. So that's nice to see. Yeah, you've been uh, you've been using the rice methodology then, rest eyes compression and elevation. And I mean, you say you're acting like a professional athlete. You were acting like a professional athlete a week ago, mate. Honestly, the most like amazing performance. And we'll get into all of that. But I mean, first, it'd be good to hear a bit about your background, Richard. Um, I mean, when I um, was speaking to Andre beforehand and he gave me the list of athletes, I was aware obviously of a few. I mean, obviously you had people like Wong Ho Chung and uh, and Mayank, who I, I knew both very well. And there was a list of um, uh, like uh, Virginia who had competed before, et cetera, uh, Tony and Kimmy who had both competed in the four trials before. But I came to your name and I was like, it rings a bell, but I don't quite know. And then I like started researching you and I couldn't find your like Strava profile. I couldn't find much of your like of a social media presence. So coming into it, you're a bit of an anomaly to me. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously I don't, don't live in Hong Kong. You've got a well networked in the community, but interested to hear your background, like your personal background, sort of um, obviously hear a bit of a, a British accent there. But yeah, interested to hear a bit of your backstory first, Richard. Sure. I mean, very quickly, I've been in Hong Kong for 12 years or so, and I was living in Japan for a, a, a while before that. So um, I used to be from the UK, as you rightly, rightly spotted. Um, but I guess the quirky detail for me that might be slightly unusual relative to some other runners is I've been part of the running community for a, a lot of that time, but very much uh, behind the camera rather than necessarily at the start line. Um, so I think a lot of people know me as one of the guys they often see filming a lot of the big races here. Um, and that was something I've been doing from about the third or fourth year after moving to Hong Kong, uh, when I started working with um, the film company that was uh, set up by Ryan Blair, who you'll have spoken to before, um, who runs the North Face Adventure Athlete Team. Uh, and that really opened my eyes to the, the level of trail running here and in Asia and gave me an opportunity to see so much of the racing scene here. Um, and so we ended up filming loads of the races here, got to know a lot of the runners, got to know a lot of the trails, um, of course, got to know a lot of the beautiful filming spots too, um, and really fell in love with the whole running scene there and then, and have been running ever since uh, in the trails. Um, before coming to Hong Kong, I'd already done quite a lot of endurance events, be it road marathons or competitive rowing or triathlons. So had a pretty strong fitness background but um obviously mountains and trails are a, a whole different challenge and uh yeah I spent so much of my time here just loving the trails and running in them constantly but not really racking up all of the classic races that a lot of the other people on the start line of things like four trails will have just done as part of their routine annual running experience so I think the unusual thing for me was I'm so familiar with all these trails I love them to bits I've filmed all of them, photographed all of them, um, but not necessarily done all these races. And so the big excitement for me with trying to take on a challenge like this was, can I put the camera down, put the heavy camera bag down, put on a slightly lighter bag and see actually, is it possible as someone who's been there and done all of it, but never really done any of it, um, can I drag myself across this, this huge distance as a runner? Um, and as many 30k 50k and in some cases 70k races as have i done you know how does that translate when it comes to doing something so much bigger and so much more challenging 
yeah and you say your your background you've done a lot of like some triathlons and marathons so like when you're in japan like if you sort of run the tokyo marathon etc or is um and you say rowing background was that from sort of um from university days like what's the um yeah what's your background there yeah i did a lot of competitive rowing at university in the uk um started running a lot in japan when i first moved there and, and knew relatively few people so running became a real outlet um, enjoyed the mountains there, started doing triathlons, um, found a really competitive group of athletes uh, in Tokyo who were all aspiring to be uh, Ironman world champions. So I just tagged along basically um, and managed to do an Ironman off the back of training with them. So as I say, quite a lot of endurance experience and went and did things like the Gobi, um, uh, racing the planet, 250K stage race. So chalked up a few decent um running experiences um but since moving to hong kong i think the thing like i say that i always found my difficulty was i was filming so many of these events i never got to run a lot of them yeah <laughs> and yeah because um, i was looking at your itra, one after the other your itra profile there's not a huge amount of events on there like you've had like a, a few 50k 70k and so that's why i was just like and I know how um, vigilant Andre is in terms of uh, like going through uh, applicants and just making sure they have. And like he's obviously put in a new stipulation for, for next year's one that uh, the person would need to have done a miler before they would have, they would have done it. Um, but I mean, having said that, as you say, if you're behind the camera and it's, I think of Lloyd Belcher as well and like the um, like. Yeah, unbelievably fit from actually filming all of the these races from just like carrying all the gear around getting to the spot having to like overtake athletes to be able to get in the right position so then um and and you're most you're most sort of well known for and it's your uh, instagram handle is the drone runner um and so i suppose a lot of the filming and the footage you do is using drones for uh, for Ryan Blair's North Vegas adventure team and um, and for some of the events that you or do you do photography as well? Yeah, so I worked with Ryan for a few years and, and since then I've always continued filming um, in the mountains and just love trying to showcase all that Hong Kong has to offer, which of course so many people don't still realize is one of the great things about Hong Kong. And it's been really the inspiring element of trying to keep producing content like that for that Instagram page really just out of a love for the trails here and wanting to share that with people so inevitably like you say that's led to me by default training myself quite hard um, but it's just I think never really given me that solid racing background such that when it comes to knowing how to um, strategize for 100k races um, I'm very good at being out in the mountains with nowhere near enough food and nowhere near enough water and a, a bag that's way too heavy um, for 18 hours at a time and getting on with it and not kicking up a fuss. But that's a different challenge to cranking out 100Ks four or five times a season as so many other runners do here. So clearly that was the big challenge for me. And I, I mean, I made that very clear to Andre, um, you know, when I talked to him about this, but uh, I'd filmed the Four Trails event three times um, in recent years. Uh, so I've got some kind of connection with the event and therefore with Andre and um, I think I sort of thought to myself do I want to film it a fourth time in a row of course I do but would I also love to try and run the thing absolutely of course I do um, and I think it just seemed like let's just see I mean just ask him uh, and uh, he just kind of indicated that perhaps this year might be a good year and I can see perhaps 
on reflection, perhaps this year was a great year for me to just uh, raise my hand because of course, with the travel restrictions, um, it's not been as easy for lots of people to try and come and take part. So perhaps this was a golden opportunity for somebody in my position to try and get involved. Yeah, so I mean, when I'd reached out to you, um, I because as I say, I, I was like trying to put two and two together where I recognize you from. And then, um, and then you, um, yeah, you confirmed that um, 2019 you filmed and, um, and I remember now I was like, that's it. That's what I remember from. And I was like running along the Wilson on the, um, the sort of around the reservoir, I forget the, yeah, um, uh, sort of like looking up to the um, time ocean there. Um, and yeah, running along with you. And I, I like, kind of, I cast my own back and then like at that time thinking, yeah, there's no way I'm not going to finish this. And I, 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 I don't remember what I said to you and I'm hopefully the footage will never see the light of the day, but I think I was pretty defiant saying, yeah, I'm going to complete this no matter what, even if I have to crawl to the finish. Um, and that year, like I, it's so funny because then I like got some really bad e knee issues and we'll get into like into into your story in a minute what happened but um um but yes yeah, so you'd filmed like 2019 and I suppose you um you would have helped um Robin Lee who filmed the Breaking 60 so were you did you actually help on that year and help with the filming of, of Breaking 60 and and Robin Lee your friend there that's right. Yeah. So I helped him the year that he filmed it. And I also helped a Japanese film crew who were filming uh, a Japanese runner who took part, I think, in the same year that you did. Um, and then I also filmed on another year of the four trails. And um, obviously, that was a hugely valuable experience for me coming in as a runner, because I was just very familiar, not just with the concept of the event and the um, the trails and the the idea of doing them in reverse and all the rest of it. But also, I'd had a chance to get really up close uh, to all of the participants and chat to them on the trail, interview them, see how their mood had changed often for the worse um, during the course of the event. And that was really instructive to me because of course, when I then started imagining myself in their position, I started to think, and I remember that specific moment when you know that particular runner seemed to really have deteriorated between the time when I saw them uh, on day one of the time when I saw them and the night of day two and so on. And I started thinking, you know, how can I make sure I don't end up in that situation? Or what have I learned from the people who managed to finish who I saw at the post box and how I saw their journey mentally as well as physically. So I started to really use that as my means to try and prepare myself, not necessarily about the nuts and bolts of the training, but more so the, the observations of just how all the different people come to the start line and end up not necessarily knowing exactly what they're going to be like two days later and I was just trying to think to myself I need to if there's one thing I have control over that I can be confident over despite my lack of relative race experience I think it's mentally knowing that it doesn't matter what happens I know I'm going to enjoy this it's such a wonderful opportunity I love these trails so much I will just be grateful the whole time for the fact that I'm doing this uh it's a fantastic adventure and however much pain I might be in or discomfort I might be in just never lose sight of that privilege and that perspective that this is just the most wonderful thing to try uh, and whatever happens it will always be a wonderful thing to have tried and so that was the thing that I just was absolutely committed to and almost all of the way around the actual uh, course I think I managed to keep that mindset but I won't say it was easy because there was probably one moment when I just about started to lose it um, but that was really fascinating to me and that was exactly what I was looking for in this challenge. 
Yeah, I, I'd love to touch on that part that you started to lose it or started to lose that positivity. I, I mean, I was um, following in, in with the support group and whenever anyone got a chance to speak to you or interview and check in how you were, it was you re always responded with this overwhelming positivity. And even at the, at the post box, again, just this kind of like this privilege of being able to just be there just uh, and just the experience and just how happy you were to be given the opportunity. And like, but it, but it, it, you can, you're saying it now, but it also like you could see it throughout the event that you, you know, you weren't just saying it, you were like actually truly looked like you were loving it. You really did. Um, which is, uh, which is amazing to see. And so, you um got the place from andre and then how how long before did you start properly looking at the training block how did you um uh yeah how long how long did it take you to um to to get in to get in the shape for it i think in total i had about six months um which is pretty good um but uh i mean i didn't have a coach i didn't really have any uh clear guidance from anybody about what i was supposed to do in terms of training um so i really did kind of make up the whole thing on my own but uh i designed what i think was a fairly intelligent training plan where i tried to build up my kilometers or mileage fairly consistently across the first couple of months um very very focused on the actual trails themselves i was trying to be really disciplined with my longer runs particularly to just go and do each section of every trail as though I was doing the real event. Um, and by that, I mean running at the type of pace that I should be running at rather than the type of pace I'm used to running at, which is normally faster, but for much shorter distances, um, packing exactly the same way that I would plan to pack on the day, um, preparing food at home that I planned to eat months later when I actually did the event and trying to make the food myself so I knew exactly what was in it. And I could start to plan calorie intake because as a slightly bigger guy who's not naturally a, like a, a very svelte, tiny, lean, mean runner, this is a big what, deal for me. I get, I get really hungry. Actually, what, what height and weight are you, Richard? Uh, I'm six foot three, so 190 centimeters. And I guess my natural feeling kind of strong weight would be probably 80, 81, 82 kilograms. So it's yeah. probably a bit big for a runner of this kind of challenge. Almost um, identical to myself. I, I bet uh, I'm like sort of 78 to 80. Um, but what, what I'm just, I we're jumping forward a little bit, but what weight were you when you got on the scales after the event? Ah, uh, quite a lot lighter than that. Um, it was quite amazing, actually. I think I lost almost six kilos during yeah. the event. I had got my weight down to about 77 anyway before even getting to the start line just as a result of doing so much running um leading up to it but yeah i was down to 72 after i got home which was pretty pretty light for me um not actually entirely pleasant experience but um quite amusing uh but the so, fun uh, part is putting it back on again afterwards though right <laughs> yeah of course um but i mean listening to you talk about supporting the event because you often hear with, with uh, about people that actually go and work at aid stations at events and get get a real feel feel for it it's actually a fantastic way rather than just like running a course to actually learn on what to do and like and and how to how to approach it um they're obviously the event has kind of evolved over over the years though right in terms of um like not being able to have poles was the first one and then like 
like no music. I mean, this year coming in, having sort of no um, no ibuprofen or anything, and then only being able to have one support crew, which is actually um, you know, is uh, yeah, makes it a little bit more more challenging. So, yeah, what I suppose what were the sort of like learnings and and the you said you had a six month training block, you covered most of the course, but actually came down to actually planning the the full day event. How did you sort of uh, how did you plan out all the logistics there? Um, I chatted to initially just one of the previous participants because I, I kind of was in two minds really I thought to myself of course it'd be stupid not to talk to some of them since I've met a few of them over the time that I've been filming but at the same time I want this to still be a mystery to me I want it to still be an adventure I don't want to know everything beforehand and also I'm always a little bit respectful of the idea that with these types of things inevitably over time we always become smarter than we were five years before at taking on any of these challenges because we learn from previous years and so on and I almost didn't really want to know everything that everybody had done before because then you've kind like of cheating almost well you've just kind of you're in a position that they weren't in and I sort of kind of in two minds about it really but um I asked uh Sarah Pemberton who was somebody who's done it three times and so seemed to be quite a good option um because I wasn't looking to try and you know necessarily break any records here I wanted somebody who had experience um, and the thing that I'd always enjoyed when I'd been filming her was that she was always uh, very positive and she seemed to have the mindset that I wanted to aspire to have rather than necessarily being obsessed about a certain time or a certain split time or something um, so I just asked her for some general tips and she was really generous she gave me a whole load of information more than I was ever expecting with her own planning process. And it was very informative for me. And I just started to sort of emulate that and really break down each trail into sections, not necessarily the geographical sections that you need to think about with regards to distance, but more so sections that made sense as a runner and for myself also where I was thinking, okay, these are the iconic moments along each trail that I need to focus on where I know, for example, there's an opportunity to drink from a stream that I've drunk from before that's quite reliable and it might not be a, a major checkpoint if you like in terms of the geographical distance but for me that's going to become my next mental focus even if it's 11.2 um, kilometers from the start that's now become my my effective my 10 kilometer mark because that's the point I'm going to aim for mentally um, or maybe it's a, a thing that I like looking at from filming that I'm going to really pin some energy towards that might be at a random point again like you know 15.4 kilometers but I put that into my spreadsheet as the thing that I was looking forward to reaching rather than necessarily the important turning point that leads to the obvious next geographical section so I started to map out the trail mentally and visually around the way that I film it so I'm looking at these iconic spots that I know so well and that became very helpful for me and so I then just built out a spreadsheet for each trail um, that had all those spots that I then broke down into the standard really you know how how long is it going to take me to get there how what's the distance what do I want to eat between each of those points how much water should I be carrying to try and be as efficient as possible and carry as little as possible when am I likely to be needing to um, uh, to get my uh, jacket out based on the elevation and started to really visualize going through each trail and then I made a spreadsheet for all of those and the one thing I did that was really helpful that I'd recommend anybody else do um, is I then uh, printed those spreadsheets off 
as small as they could be such that I could still read them. And they all had little navigational reminders in as well. Um, and then I just covered it in sellotape so it would be waterproof, folded it up and put it in my pocket. And I had one of those for each trail. And it was really, really helpful because there's no way you can remember all that information. But it was so invaluable to me during each trail to just pull it out occasionally and just remind myself my plan, basically, without having to try and overcalculate. Because I found that, and this is probably common of many people who have done this challenge, but my ability to do basic maths just deteriorated <laughs> like exponentially after the first day and all the things I was trying to figure out in my head about how long should I take to the next checkpoint or how long should it be till I finish this trail and if I, I was honestly like even basic calculations were just becoming really <laughs> difficult so having that in my pocket was a really handy uh tool just because I could just pull it out and know you know am I on course am I not on course and do I need to push or not um, very, very helpful. And it also just gave me a bit of peace of mind when I came to a, a spot where I just needed a little bit of reassurance about navigation or how much water I should take at each given point. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic advice. Um, and did you actually, because getting lost on the course, no matter how much you train on it, and I suppose that you know it intimately, so it's, it would be pretty unlikely that you would um, get lost. But um you know, it happens though. The first time I did it, I lost two or three times. Um, uh, did you have any points that you got lost at all? Or, or like, did you use any sort of GPS device to make sure that you um, that you did stay on track? No, I didn't get lost uh, at all, really. There were one or two moments when uh, I just hesitated for a bit. Um, but ultimately, that all went pretty smoothly. I had the, the courses, like everybody did, I think, loaded into my watch. Um, but I didn't particularly rely on it. Um, the only time that I actually found it really difficult uh, in terms of confidence of knowing that I was going in the right direction was really on the Hong Kong Trail. Uh, the second half of the Hong Kong Trail uh, is very, very windy, very, very repetitive in the scenery. And I was running it at night, as many people end up doing during this challenge. And uh, you're very, you're very in the tired second night. It's yeah, the second, yeah, it's that, it's that classic second night. And I've spoken to a couple of the people from this year, and we were all in the same boat, basically, where we were kind of zombies at that point. And the funny thing that happened to me that was a little bit unsettling was I just became convinced that I was on a treadmill. And although I was running, I wasn't actually going anywhere. And it was just the scenery that was moving past me. And I became more and more convinced of this and more and more paranoid that I wasn't actually moving. And I just kept checking my watch to check that the kilometers were actually increasing as I kept That's on running, because I became more and more convinced that I wasn't actually going forwards. Um, and I mean, I've run that trail so many times, but it doesn't help when you're that tired and it's dark. Uh, and the great thing about that trail that makes it such a fantastic challenge is it just does not really feel like it's changing. Um, unlike the other trails where you have a real sense of moving from one geographical place to another, because you've, um, you know, you've quite clearly gone up and over a mountain or you've quite clearly gone from one end of a long section of trail to the other end of it. The Hong Kong trail is like the perfect piece in the puzzle for this challenge. And it, it's, positioned exactly the right time I love everything about it and I just I couldn't help but smile and this was what I was trying to remind myself the whole time like whenever you face these these challenges just you know just laugh about it because it's so absurd I mean what am I doing 
like all of us, what are we all doing, like running through this trail after no sleep for a day and a night and a day? Like you have to just find some humor in it. And uh, so I, I just started laughing about how ridiculous it was that I didn't think I was moving. And, you know, it was quite funny. So there's always, there's always ways to look at it to cheer yourself up. But that was definitely one moment when geographically things got a little difficult because you just you just lost all confidence in what you thought you knew. And that part of the Hong Kong Trail, it's um, it just kind of like wind, but it follows the contour, so it's fairly flat. But like you're going, it it can be um, even in daylight, you can be like, if I not just backed up on myself um yeah we're just we're talking about this and i'm thinking about elliot the poor bugger who got halfway got halfway along pats in leng i think he stopped to change his um his head torch um and it can be quite confusing along some parts of pats in leng because there's like kind of trails that run parallel to each other which one and yeah he double backed on himself and did like 3k back over pats in leng which is just uh, yeah along the wilson trail which is pretty harrowing um but uh, but yeah, going back to the the sort of timing, the schedule that you put in place. Did you actually put a plan to be able to finish with under sixty hours? Like, was it actually were you being fairly sort of vigilant around your sort of timing for each trail? Yeah, I had uh, I had a couple of plans basically. One was to try and see if it was still possible to catch the three a.m. ferry. Yeah. I didn't know if that would be possible because. Uh, the year before the race had started at 6am and this year it ended up starting between 8 and 9am so there was a clear disadvantage there in terms of trying to make that 3am ferry um, it wasn't necessarily absolutely necessary to make the 3am ferry anymore because of that slightly later start but it seemed like it still it would be a really fantastic thing to achieve because it just basically set you up unless you were in real trouble um, to break 60 and so it was still clearly something to aim for so I had a 3 a.m plan and I had a plan for the next available ferry which was at 6 10 a.m uh, so obviously a big difference there three hours and 10 minutes so quite a significant uh, difference in terms of your expected timings but those are basically my two my two targets um, and uh, I mean of course it's so hard to know whether you can do either of those when you when you first take your uh, you know, first few steps on the McElhose, but I mean, I figured you've got to have a target and just, uh, just back yourself and be positive and keep moving. And, uh, and, you know, ultimately, like everybody says, get to the end of the Wilson trail in one piece and then anything's possible. Yeah. Well, so you'd actually, in, in your training, you mentioned you hadn't done the McElhose in, in, in a whole, like the whole hundred kilometers together, but had covered all of the sections, but you did do the full Hong Kong trail did the ferry and got and did Lantau Trail as a training session. So that'd be like roughly 120k, right? And so you'd have also done the run down from the peak to the ferry, which was uh, introduced this year as part of that training session. How did that come into play on the actual day? Like, was that looking back, was that like a really good train? And that would have been the longest run you'd ever done in your life, right? 120k in one session was was that the, the, the biggest distance you'd ever done previously? That was the longest continuous run I'd ever done. And of course, it wasn't actually continuous either because it involved a ferry. So strictly speaking, it wasn't even uh, a proper continuous without run. Sleeping, but, without sleeping, without sleeping. Yeah, but, uh, it, was a, it was a really, really valuable thing to do uh, for this challenge. And for me, you know, as an experience, just to get used to the idea of having to stay focused, having to stay awake, having to stay keen and motivated um, to run through the night in 
you know on my own you know without the headphones and so on and um and absolutely valuable and i tried to again match exactly what i expected to do during the event by setting off at hong kong trail at almost exactly the time i actually set off for hong kong trail wow uh when i actually did the thing uh last week um such that i'd arrive at the ferry pier with enough time without having to rush to take that same ferry um ironically actually i did that training session i think a few days before uh it was announced that we would have to run down from the ferry from the peak to the ferry pier so having done that and felt quite confident about what i'd achieved i then two or three days later found out that actually i still hadn't really prepared properly for this uh challenge because in fact we were now going to have to run down from the peak so that was quite amusing it was again one of those classic uh you know moments when you just felt like the rug had been pulled out from underneath your feet yet all your confidence you'd built up from having pulled that that back-to-back trail off was suddenly removed because you thought oh no i actually still haven't properly prepared for this event because well, now it's I've, just got slightly harder i mean you did say you want to keep the adventure part of it and didn't want to know too much that little curveball adds a, adds a little spice to it as well um and look, we'll move forward to like just to recap you did the McElhose in a really stellar time of like 14 hours something um and then a consistent um for the wilson as well i seem to was it around sort of 15 or so hours for the wilson what did you manage to to complete that in i think it was actually just under 14 so pretty it's solid just under 14 for the wilson that's okay. an incredible pace yeah and and getting off the end of the wilson how how were you feeling at that point so you've done one full night and like half day a half a day basically you would have probably got in around two or two or three in the afternoon um at the end of wilson at stanley yeah i got in uh yeah around 2 30 i think it was and um yeah, honestly i was feeling pretty good i mean it was funny one thing i'd learned from all the previous filmings i'd done is that everybody hates the wilson trail and they see that as the one that really gets them down because of course it's got a very tough start and a very tough finish uh, and the middle is relatively runnable but in some cases not so attractive and not so um you know inspiring as the other trails so it can get people down i found that I sort of very early on, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to fall in love with the Wilson Trail. I'm going to make that my favorite trail. And then I'm never going to feel that way. And that's going to be one way mentally that I'm going to shift away from this sense of, oh, you know, <laughs> here we go for the big one. So I, I absolutely committed to that. And fortunately, because of where I live in Hong Kong, it's relatively close to a section of the Wilson Trail that leads down You're to Clearwater Bay, aren't you? That's right. So it leads down to, um, you know, the crucial MTR uh uh change and i ended up just really running that over and over and over again and then just gradually extending it and extending it and extending it such that i became pretty familiar with that and it made a massive difference because basically as soon as i got over pat sing lang which was very hard and i totally understand why people got lost up there and why people found it so hard because it was so misty and very cold and the visibility was very very poor um uh but once I got down to Taipo, the 7-Eleven, the crucial, all-important uh, food and drink refueling stop, I just couldn't wait to get going because I knew that whole of the, I knew the rest of the 50K I knew so well to the, the MTR. And once I got over to Hong Kong Island side, again, it's certainly not fun because it's just climbing, climbing, climbing. But 
I was just really looking forward to it. I love that whole section over Jardines that looks out onto Hong Kong Island, the whole city yeah. skyline. And the weather looked the... incredible as well, right? There was just such beautiful yeah. views. The factories had already closed down a few days before. So the, it was a crystal clear skyline in, um, in Hong Kong that, that, those few days. It was beautiful. And I mean, I know it sounds so cheesy and stupid, but this really is the thing that I was just absorbing the whole time and just thinking I'm so lucky like it's such a beautiful day I'm so lucky to be out again for another whole day of running something I love so so much of course my knees hurt of course my ankles hurt but come on like where else would I rather be right now and um, you know my wife's supporting me she was my main support Robin's supporting me my good friend who made so many films with what a pleasure and when I get to Stanley be great to see them again I'm still moving. Uh, it's so nice to be part of this event. The photographers who have come out to take photos of us, thank you so much to them. Like, I just, I was so full of gratitude. I just didn't really care about anything else. And when I got to the end of the Wilson Trail, I was feeling great. Um, the only thing that I really struggled with that I did a really honestly a pretty bad job of during this challenge was in my transitions between trails, particularly between the McElhose and the Wilson, I think I was just too happy. I was talking too much. I was too excited. Uh, I was too keen to share funny things that had happened on the trail. And what I wasn't doing, of course, was just eating, sleeping, sleeping massaging, uh, doing all the obvious stuff you should really be doing if you're much more focused. I was just in a good mood. And uh, of course, that's great. But <laughs> I really laugh at myself. I could have easily been way more efficient, way more professional with the way I did those transitions. Um, and uh, I certainly took longer than some of the other people who were taking part in the event because I saw them arrive, you know, after me and then leave before me um, a couple of times. And I started to think, actually, am I being a bit of an idiot here because I'm pushing harder than them on the on the trails and then, you know, I'm losing time. But I mean, maybe it actually helped me because when I did set off, I had given myself time to digest the food I'd eat in which I'd enjoyed eating. Um, and I was feeling pretty good. And, you know, as it happened, I ended up, you know, catching up with some of those people much, much later on. So I don't know what the right plan is, honestly, but I can see that for myself, I absolutely could have been way more efficient and shaved off at least half an hour on the first changeover, maybe 20 more minutes on the second changeover. Um, but I don't know for sure whether or not I'd have ended up running better <laughs> as a result if I'd set off that much earlier. Yeah, you did mention that there was a part where you weren't feeling so chipper and happy. Uh, what was the what was the darkest moment? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I set off for the Hong Kong Trail feeling very positive because I was so pleased and proud that I'd basically knocked out the McElhose and the Wilson back to back, which I'd never done before. I'd never run that far before in my life uh, in one go. Um, and those are two really hard trails. And of course, you know, the Hong Kong trail is statistically much easier. So here I was going off to do Hong Kong and I suddenly realized I'm on for the 3 a.m. ferry with a bit of time to spare. I just have to be solid through the Hong Kong trail. And so off I went and I'd given myself enough time even that I knew I could do the first chunk of the Hong Kong trail, which for people who know it is the dragon's back that's going up and over a relatively small but a little bit technical mountain and I could do it in daylight which was massive because I'd wrecked that a few times at night I was very well prepared for running the whole trail at night but now I'd give myself an opportunity to run the first hour or two in daylight which meant all of those technical problems were going to be eliminated and I knew that 
by the time it got dark, I was actually going to be in relatively easier territory in terms of the, the terrain. So feeling pretty good. Um, did the first half of the Hong Kong Trail, feeling, feeling great. Got to the, the refueling stop, the gas station halfway around, saw Chang, yeah. the, the runner who's done it a couple of times. Great to see him. Um, he'd been very. You had a nice long chat with him as well. Like actually, like I saw a recording of his chat with you, and that's um. And yeah, you were you were extremely chipper there. Like just echoing everything you said. But you said, oh, you know, you could feel your knee a little bit. Then you know, you just want to just want to look after it and just make sure like you you take care of it, not push too hard. Um, what kind of knee pain were you feeling? Was it in the sort of um, ACL? Was it inside of the knee? Or MCL? Was it ACL? Like on the outside of the knee? It's just inside the kneecap, really. It was just starting to ache and starting to sting a little bit. Um, I mean, nothing, nothing too alarming. I'm sure everybody was having the same pain, to be honest. Um, but it was the first time I'd really started to feel anything. I was very fortunate. Um, so I was just conscious of it. I was just vocalizing. I think since I had the chance to talk to another human being, <laughs> I was just vocalizing the idea of, okay, I need to slow down, need to just take it easy. I've got enough time. Um, I don't have to panic, you know, I'm going to get to the ferry on time. Um, and uh, so it was great to have somebody to talk to uh, at that moment. Um, I thought what was really interesting, though, was I think as a result of talking to him at that moment, I probably should have just, again, been a bit more focused, a bit more disciplined and thought, just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, because it wasn't the running that then became hard for me. It was just getting colder and colder and colder. And even just chatting to him, uh, I just started to get cold. I suddenly had to put my jacket on, suddenly had to rub my hands. I went to get another drink before I set off. And within five minutes of setting off, I wished I hadn't drunk that drink because now I was feeling really cold inside because I'd taken another cold drink from the, the gas station. It was amazing how cold I then became in the next four hours completing the Hong Kong Trail. And the colder I got, the more my... Uh, my leg just started to freeze up and everything just started to become very, very inflexible, the knees, the ankles, um, and I started to become quite drowsy. Uh, all of the tiredness, I think, started to catch up with me. Of course, it's nighttime. And uh, in that four-hour time period, I was still really enjoying it and feeling very positive about the whole thing. But On that's the treadmill. When, that's when the treadmill thing started happening. Uh, I heard a few other people say they just kept stumbling around on Hong Kong Trail. They started losing their footing and tripping over all of the rocks and the roots. And I totally understand because I was- Did you have any visualizations or did you see any people? Or I, I always see like graffiti is something that I tend to see on trees and stuff and yeah. Right, yeah, there were a couple of slightly wacky moments when I just started seeing, uh, it was actually the coloration of the rocks, but it looked like eyes uh, like a panda or something just kept appearing uh but honestly the biggest thing for me was i just became more and more convinced that i wasn't moving and that was really uneasy because that was the thing that was undermining my sense of progress and although i like i say i know that trail so well it's the sense that i still haven't got to this point where i'm supposed to get off this contour and get onto the tarmac that leads up to the next contour I know it's coming, but it's still not here. Like, why is, why am I not there yet? And I was pulling out my little sheet and looking at it and looking at my watch. And, and then of course I just told myself, just relax, you know, just relax. You'll get there. Uh, and, uh, and so it was fine, but that whole process 
the biggest, biggest, biggest problem was I just started getting colder and colder. And as I slowed down to try to look after my knee and also not make any wrong turns because I was starting to lose a little bit of navigational awareness, it all contributed to me just getting a bit colder. And I got to the peak and I still had loads of time. There was actually no reason to feel worried about my progress. I was actually doing great on paper. What time but, did you get to the peak? Uh, 12, 15, I think it was. Okay, so, um, you got, so at, you got two and a quarter hours to get down to the ferry. Yeah, of course, at loads of time. And I mean, you know, ironically, if I'd been a bit more present and focused and aware of how I was going, and of course, if I'd been that little bit faster, ultimately, who knows, maybe I could have even made the 1230 ferry, but I just wasn't even aware of that. I'd kind of lost sight of the fact that was actually an option. And I certainly wasn't really moving fast enough to be in a position to do that. Um, but uh, but I was absolutely on course for the three o'clock, so there's really no reason to worry, but I could just start to feel this, this, um, this pain inside my knee that I knew was just starting to get a little bit of a problem. And also I knew that, of course, I had this uh, this great little extra challenge that Andre had thrown in, which is to get yourself down from the peak to the pier, which I actually think is a great idea. And it's a great addition to this challenge because it's not far, but it's a devilishly steep descent. But it does add a real quirky visual element to this as a race, which from a filming point of view is a great idea because it just takes you back into the real city, the heart of the city, and makes you have to run through central i mean literally central which Hong way did Kong. you so, come down did you do old peak road like the the like straight one right which is i mean it i don't know what the what the degree is it feels like 45 degrees but um i heard a couple of people actually went down backwards as well like um yeah i mean because at that point your quads are already smashed anyway and then uh yeah i think elliot was saying he went went down backwards but yeah i was i was, was also one of those people oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I mean basically I got to the end of the peak and I saw Chang again who I mean you know what good legend, on him huh? he he was he was there as well um I mean great to see him but what I found really funny that I laughed about afterwards is I saw him and I just realized that he said oh you know are oh, you doing so great you know how are you doing and I just suddenly realized this is the moment where I'm starting to lose it because I said to him Chang oh my knee I think my knee's really hurting I can feel it. I know I've got loads of time. I just, I just need to take it slow. But, ah, oh, yeah, so I'm not sure about my knee. I'm just not sure. I need to get to... And I was thinking, of course, what I was saying was all perfectly sensible. But uh, I think I saw that video later and I thought, God, what's wrong with you? Like, this is, this, is, this is not you. I mean, I should have been saying, Chang, how are you? It's so great to see you. Like, thanks so much for coming up here. What an amazing view. What an amazing night. Of course, my leg hurts. Of course it does. I mean, what do you expect? I've just run, I don't know how long, a long way. Um, but I'll get there, you know, I'll get there. Um, but just at that moment, I could just feel myself. And it wasn't the pain, I think. And I'm more and more certain of this than ever now, a week later. But it was the cold it was just really doing something to me that I wasn't expecting. And I wasn't, I had no experience of, which was that I was just getting colder and colder. And he was actually quite confident in a way that I couldn't be because he's done this before and he's done it multiple times before like these types of long challenges and he just kept saying ah don't worry you know get to the pier you'll warm up and I was thinking but can I warm up I mean it's only two hours Chang it's not I, I said I think I said to him something really boring like it's only two hours it's not 
two weeks that I have to recover before I do Lantau. Because in my head, I was thinking, but I mean, how can my leg feels like it's just locked and I'm so cold? This was uh, anyway. So as a result of this, I was just laughing to myself afterwards, like, oh, it's just it's, it's so lame, you know, all the rest of my personality is so focused on just being so happy about and positive about the experience i could just see at that moment i was just yeah. getting so cold but i had the 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 at least the the awareness that there was no need to rush i knew how steep it was lord knows i wanted to run down that road and just enjoy running down to central and bounce down to the ferry pier but i thought come on just take your time because you know you do have quite a lot of it so you might as well make use of it so i did indeed walk backwards all the way down the peak um just trying to look after my knee look after my ankles continued to walk backwards pretty much uh down to lang kwai fong the middle of hong kong um and then just really gently like jogged kind of walked to the ferry pier and i thought okay this is smart you're just taking it easy but what I didn't realize was I was just getting colder and colder and colder the whole time. And it was actually a really big problem for me because when I arrived at the ferry pier, very, very quickly, I started to become hypothermic and I was shivering. I didn't want to eat anything for the first time in the whole challenge. I found it hard to drink anything. Um, and I wrapped myself up in the sleeping bag, but I was still really cold. And then I was just incredibly uncomfortable. Then I was really too hot. Then I was too cold again. Then I was too hot again. It was just a, a mess, basically. And all this while, I was just thinking my knee, my leg, it's just getting stiffer and stiffer. Um, but uh, I mean, fortunately, I just said to Natalie, my wife, and uh, I just need to get on the ferry. And she was great. And she said, we'll just get you on the ferry, get you off the ferry. We'll warm you up. And we'll see how things go. And so, uh, there's. I think there's a funny photo of me trying to get on the ferry when I'm. I've got my, my, my we jacket zipped from, up over my head. Our Instagram and, page. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, sh I, look, I look ridiculous. You know, I look like I'm. Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm a total wreck. And I mean, physically, I'm actually not too bad, but I'm just so cold, and I couldn't get out of that coldness. And the ferry helped a bit because I warmed up a bit on the ferry. Um, but the thing that was just the saving grace was that when we got off the ferry, we'd been told a couple of weeks or more, I can't remember, beforehand by Andre that um, the running store at Mwiwo on Lantau Island, Lantau Base Camp would be open for everybody if we wanted to drop bags there or take a rest there. Um, we were even told we could have a shower there. And of course, when I saw this message, just like many other runners, I guess I thought, uh, you know it seems like a bit of a luxury really i'm not sure i'm going to sort of waste time going there um when i would like to imagine i can just get on with this challenge i don't you know i don't need to go and you know do my hair or something you know i just want to get moving um but of course suddenly it seemed like the smart thing to do uh so we went there um of course such a good thing to do because it was actually it felt at least three or four degrees colder on Lantau than it even had been on Hong Kong Island. And some other people said the same thing. Um, so I just spent the time in there, again, wrapped up in the sleeping bag, just getting as warm as possible, as quickly as possible, starting then to move the knee, move the ankles, massage the knee, um, and just basically 
got myself back into shape. And the other thing I did, which again was not planned, but ended up being incredibly useful, was I just passed out. <laughs> and uh, I think I slept for at least an hour, um, which I never expected to do really. Um, but when I, when I woke up, it was by that stage now 5.15 or something. And I thought, oh gosh, I've lost all this time, you know? Um, Natalie kept saying to me, yeah, you've got loads of time. Just don't panic. Don't worry. You've still got loads of time. And of course, she's right, uh, because I'd even been planning to take the 610 ferry, which wouldn't have even got in for another 50 minutes. And it still wasn't even 6, 6 a.m. And although I was aware that some other runners who I'd been running with earlier in the challenge had you know, long since set off on Lantau Trail um, because they'd come straight off the 3 a.m. ferry or they'd even managed to catch the earlier ferry, I still actually had loads of time because I knew having run Lantau Trail a few times before, I'm actually a relatively smooth runner on the flats and I still felt pretty good in my legs in terms of muscles. I was really quite happy to do more hills. Um, the only worry I had was just my knee. Um, so we even decided, look, just really slow it down. Let's stay here for another 30, 45 minutes until the sun comes up. It seems a bit silly to just keep sitting here but come on I mean think about the benefits if the sun's up it means you don't need to think twice about foot placement you're going to do the whole trail in daylight if you keep moving you might not even need your headlamp at all um, you can pack a bit lighter you don't need to take an extra um, couple of layers as I saw that some of the people had been packing um, who had set off earlier had been wrapped up you know with a lot of clothes you'll feel so much better so I waited until the sun came up set off at 6.45, I think it was, a.m., just before that 6.10 ferry was due to arrive, which doesn't matter. I mean, it wasn't But psychologically, back. you've, like, beaten that and then exactly. you banked I mean, that sleep and rest. And yeah, Exactly. I mean, I, I, I certainly didn't care, you know, what position I came in the ranking or anything, so I wouldn't have minded if people had run off ahead of me, but just absolutely psychologically, it felt good to get moving before that next ferry came in. I had no idea who was even on that ferry, but just, again, psychologically, it just felt good. Let's get moving, and then you're off. And um, I felt great. I mean, my knee hurt a lot, but once you're moving, the sun had come up, I was warming up, and after about three or four hours, um, I was moving so much better, I could still feel the knee pain. I could still feel the ankles, but I didn't care anymore. I was just so happy. It was sunny. It was clearly a much better weather day than it had been on the other two days. And I was running on Lantau, which as somebody who lives quite far away from Lantau these days, uh, and as somebody who's got a family, it's not often you get to run on Lantau. So again, my overriding emotion was just just happy. I mean, where else would I rather be right now? I'm just so happy to be running around Lantau. And uh, also because I'd set off a bit later, I knew that the little village at the very edge of Lantau called Fan Lao, yeah. which I'd run through a, a couple of times on my recce's, really and, cute yeah. little noodle shop there. I know the people um, just couldn't wait to see them. And oh, I was just in such a good mood. So got there, had a nice bowl of noodles, was on time with my schedule. I'm still pulling out that little piece of paper every so often to check, but um, by the time I got to Tayo, which is when you head up into the mountains and do the real, um, the real tough part of Lantau, I was still well ahead of schedule um, and just feeling happy. And it started getting sunny and hot at that point, which, of course, you know, for most people would be an extra challenge because 
now it's starting to get into dehydration zone. But again, I was lucky for me, that was exactly what I needed because it just eliminated any possibility I was going to get cold again. And I'd started to find that as long as I was moving, I was fine. But as soon as I got cold, I was really in trouble. So as soon as the sun came out, I just thought, oh, thank goodness for this. And just loved having the sun on my back the whole time. Um, the whole of South Anto Country Park went really well. Uh, got to Nong Ping, had a drink, got moving again, just feeling great. Really looking forward to Lantau Peak. I love Lantau Peak. It's my favorite mountain. I filmed it so many times. It's so beautiful. So happy to climb up it again. I really was never feeling any anything except just I'm so happy I'm going up Lantau Peak. I love this mountain. Um, everything was hurting, but I mean, really, I just didn't care. I was just so happy at this point. The only thing that was hard was I was, was just starting to feel really, really sleepy again. And um, that was quite difficult to manage because on Lantau Peak, it was very, very windy. Uh, and some other people said this who had to do it in much tougher circumstances doing it at night um, later on in the challenge. And uh, it was actually quite tricky to keep your footing. But again, I almost just thought, come on, this is so lucky. I mean, again, it's so windy. This is keeping me awake. So I just kept turning my face into the wind and like pulling my T-shirt up just to have a blast of cold air like you do when you're driving and you're feeling drowsy, you wind the window down. It all worked out exactly as I needed it to, because if it had been baking hot with no wind, I'm sure I'd have just got more and more drowsy. So I just tried to embrace all of these weather problems and I could see how actually they felt like they were really working in my favor. And um, uh, and then coming up on over Sunset Peak again, I just I don't have a, a, a good opportunity to run that very often anymore. It's a beautiful uh, view coming coming down off so, Lantau, looking at sunset is just one of the most spectacular views in Hong Kong. So right? so pretty. And again, I was just overwhelmed at this point with gratitude, and I was stopping and just taking in the view a few times and just thinking, oh boy, you know, like you know, what have I done? And coming down sunset, it does feel like it takes a while, but I could have carried on running for a while at that point. I just didn't really feel anything. Somebody asked me at the finish line, you know, how did you, how did you get around with your knee or something? And at that point, I'd just kind of forgotten about it, to be honest. I mean, it still hurt, but it just becomes part of you, that pain. It's so much part of the way you're moving now you've just kind of forgotten what it was like to not have some pain there and it's it's just not an issue i could see how it had become an issue at the end of the hong kong trail because it was getting really cold and i'd gone through that really sleep deprived state of uncertainty and feeling like i wasn't making progress and all the rest of it but at this stage i mean you know you could have chopped my leg off and i still would have been hopping down feeling just overwhelmingly happy about my I, lot in life uh, i've got to admit when i saw the video of you and we shared it on the on the endurance asia instagram page and i saw you like hobbling on like a uh, yeah like a like homeless um drunk person that like had <laughs> just, just been like carried on i was i honestly thought richard i was like this is not looking good. He's complained about his knee halfway through Hong Kong trail was complaining and down it coming off of the, um, the peak. And that's him getting onto the ferry. Like I, I yeah. I, and having been in, had that kind of knee pain and, and pulled out and then couldn't walk for a couple of days after I was like, this is not looking pretty for him. It's not looking good, but you ended up doing 
obviously like the split times of each trails don't really make any difference right it's it's the first to the green post box not that it's a race but you did the the um the Lantau trail in a faster time than Wong Ho Chong who like beasted the record to like 46 hours and the previous record had been 49 that you like you did and obviously he would have started he would have done a lot of his at night as well which would have made a bit of a difference but um but yeah to do that in sort of 11 hours something that you did the the um Lantau trail in which I'm sure was like faster than you probably did it in training right I would have I would have thought absolutely were you blown away that you managed to do it at that pace i mean i was looking at your your kilometer spits along the sort of catch water in the south Lantau, and you were like doing six minute k's having like 250k in the legs like um it it's just mental you know it's funny first of all somebody told me i'd run it faster than his split time which of course i thought huh i mean come on i mean you're talking about chung here right um and then I thought, well, actually, come on, to be fair, like the guy had not had any rest, whereas I had actually a proper sleep and some proper food. And uh, I was running it in daylight. He was running it in the dark. Um, and also, I don't even know what he managed to eat, if anything, during the entire Lantau Trail based on the time of day he was running it. It must have been incredibly hard because I, I would imagine he couldn't have picked up anything at all uh, around the entire trail in terms of calories. So I, I don't know how he managed that. That's superhuman. Um, you know, whereas I had options to at least get not many, but like a couple of uh, refuels. Um, so I, I know I'm not sure I attach a huge amount of of, uh, of achievement to that time. But the thing that really cracked me up um, was that I've I'd run the Lantau Trail as a recce. And when I was doing my spreadsheets for each of the trails, when I did the first one for the Mac and the second one for the Wilson, I'd been... Uh, fairly diligent in adding on amounts of time that I thought would be more reasonable based on the challenge that I was taking on as opposed to how long it took me when I did it as a recce so obviously if I run you know 50k of the Mac in say six hours I'm not expecting to do it in six hours during the event so I add on proportionally 10 minutes per section or whatever relative to the section itself for some reason, and it's probably because I was a bit bored of doing spreadsheets at this point when I got to trail number four, when it came to the Lantau trail, I didn't really even realize, but I'd basically just reprinted my exact run from doing it as a recce and put that in as my target for doing it during the four trails. So when I set off to do Lantau, in my head, I thought, okay, I need to get to Puyo within an hour. So I started running as though I needed to get there within an hour. And then I need to get to the next section within two hours so i ran according to that and i need to run the catch water as, and so on and so on and so i was actually running ridiculously unnecessarily fast in order to try and meet the target that was on my little piece of paper and then it was only when i got to tayo i realized you idiot like this is the same time splits from when you did it as a training run and it was in daytime and you were feeling fantastic because you hadn't done anything else why have you been following these stupid time splits? You don't even need to run it. You could, you could run it two hours slower. You'd still make it within 60 hours. So that was pretty foolish. I would recommend for everybody to be careful about what time targets well, they put in their spreadsheet. So I was actually following it, these it, timings that I really didn't need to follow. But again, your brain is not particularly functioning at that point. So all I knew was if I can make this time on this piece of paper, I'm going to break 60. So I better make sure I make this time. So I just kept pushing, 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 pushing. Uh, and then later when I finally got up 
to Lantau Peak, I realized actually you've got all the time in the world at this point. Um, you know, maybe you could enjoy the view a little bit. Yeah, and, and look, that that gives you time in the bank and takes the pressure off and, and those last two monstrous peaks, which are Lantau and Sunset. Um, you got down to, to Muiwo, and what was the final time? It was 57 hours and... Um... Sorry, I should have. I should have researched. Twenty. I think it was twenty-seven minutes. Fifty-seven, twenty-seven. I think. Yeah. yeah. Which, um, yeah. I mean, um, in fact, you, you've got another notch on um, on. No, it's not on Itra, but um, uh, Andre shared to me that he's actually he's got all of the timings um, put on the the German timing site. Actually, um, the um, yeah, the we'll share the the link in the in the podcast notes, but the statistique uh, dot du uh, yeah, and um, and so I think you you've ended up um, doing it in uh, in sort of like a top um, yeah sort of fourteenth quickest time ever on your first attempt, and I mean you look at the list of people above you, and it's just like mind blowing the these just unbelievable athletes that you are of course yourself, Richard, and um. And yeah, getting to the end, I mean, seeing your family, I mean, what was the overwhelming feeling? I mean, obviously like gratitude you shared at a time, but it must've been pretty special seeing your, uh, seeing your wife and, uh, and seeing Robin there as well and seeing all your friends who definitely got a, a very warm welcome to the, the post box. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, what an experience. Just so grateful for everybody who came out to support people who came to the post box and everybody who was out on the trails, either photographers or people just, you know, clapping their hands if they recognized that it was somebody taking on this challenge. Um, massively grateful to my wife for being such a great supporter and to Robin for being such a great driver and to be around friends. And it also felt very surreal to me. I've been filming these events for so many years to suddenly be somebody who was being filmed or photographed felt yeah. quite odd. Um, I'd kind of forgotten what I'd previously thought would be a good thing to do at the post box you know like having filmed so many people do this thing before I suddenly thought hang on a minute now what do I did I can't remember what I'm supposed to do and uh you know what how do I uh, all these ideas I'd had before about what might be a smart thing to do to not look stupid um but just so happy uh I totally forgot all the things I'd previously imagined might happen at that point and you just couldn't really stop smiling and then we sat down afterwards and it really dawned on us as a as a team effectively wow we've actually done this because i'm not sure any of us knew for sure how it would go beforehand all i knew which did absolutely come true was that i would just enjoy the whole thing uh so that worked but everything else was just a bonus <laughs> oh well it was um it was incredible following you incredible watching and and obviously you're one of like a host i mean seven people that that finished it but 16 absolute warriors that got out there and uh, and took it on did you have any were there anyone in the uh, out of the uh, the athletes that you spent a lot of time with obviously you came in just before man year and like it was so nice seeing you two talk at the uh, at the finish and she's like saying how because she, she was quite a bit ahead of you initially going on to Lantau as well because I think she went straight off on she was on the same three o'clock ferry right but she um she didn't take take the sleep but um, yeah, did you have an opportunity to enjoy the trails with uh, with people along the way? Yeah, I mean, it was actually a particularly strange year, I suppose, this year, because due to COVID and, and everything else that's been happening, it's been very hard to really get to know anyone else who's been taking part. So we haven't probably seen a lot of one another, even until the start line, which was staggered, in which, 
the case we didn't even probably see each other at the start either so it was one of those times when you just felt it was so nice to feel like you're part of a community who was all taking this on and massive respect to everybody who was at the start line because we've all been through the same you know period of preparation some people have had less time than others and so on um but such a courageous thing to try and take on uh and when you did get a chance to bump into one another on the trail just again what a great community of people because everybody's out to try and help one another um encourage one another i ran a lot with elliot uh during the McElhose, which was really nice because i'd had the chance to run with him um a few times in training and he'd been really really helpful to me because he's got way more experience than i have doing these types of challenges um and was really encouraging with all of the training i was doing um so really fantastic to run with him i never met manny before but by chance ended up running with her a couple of really crucial moments one towards the end of the McElhose, when i found her at one of the the vending machines saying that she had just started to feel like she wanted to run with someone i feel like maybe she was even waiting there until someone arrived i don't know um but uh great to run the last chunk of the McElhose with her um really nice to have some company at that point and then i ended up seeing her again um in the middle of the night on the wilson trail when it had been raining all night and we went up the final section of uh patsing lang to go down to the 7-eleven again a really great time to have somebody to run alongside so it was even more special to then see her again randomly at the end of the race which i never expected to um uh, and end up coming in you know quite close together uh, but she did fantastically well i'm so pleased for her because i mean i didn't know much about her story until we were chatting on the actual trail but obviously she had done it before um and not quite managed to break 60 so fantastic improvement for her and i gather she hadn't really had a lot of uh time to prepare this year either so even more impressive yeah um, i mean she and, had a year out getting a getting her doctorate and uh, and study and um I, she actually i at the point in 2019 that i pulled out she, uh, on on the hong kong trail she j was just passing me then and then she got up to finish like 62 63 hours that year but to come back and and be the second woman ever to to finish after nikki han and just do it in such an incredible time and just seems like a like an amazing amazing woman there's a really nice article on the uh, scmp as well that they, they published recently but um yeah so many i mean obviously one country and we're going to sort of catch up with rick after to talk about a few of the other performances but just an unbelievable set of human beings that get out there that i i'd say to andre like where do you find all these people from and like uh i mean look they're all from hong kong it just it's a, it's uh it certainly has been the last couple of years and what an incredible running community that we have there and um and uh, so i i mean richard this is the first sort of like super long distance event you've done um i hope your wife's not uh, in there and can overhear now but um but what's next what have you uh what have you uh thinking about as a or is it going to be like okay like let's uh let's have some chill time and relax but it's always immediately after an event that you're normally kind of conniving and planning the next uh the next thing oh i mean I'd happily do anything, frankly, and I'd do it with a huge smile on my face. I don't really have a huge burning ambition to try and tick boxes that need to be ticked by doing specific races or anything like that. That certainly wasn't my ambition for this either. It was just a, an adventure, and I'm really grateful to have been able to do this. Uh, it is still somewhat baffling to me that I managed to run that distance, having not done enough of these types of things before, but I kind of always knew I could, uh, and I've 
learned through this something that I believed before, which is that there's a huge amount of mental uh, element to this. It's really not just about your physical capability, whether it's your ability to push through the pain or your ability to uh, decide that it's okay to slow down in order to recover in the way that I learned during this race that I at one point wasn't sure of, which was my moment of uncertainty, I think, at the peak when I was just getting so cold. You know, I just didn't have that confidence that I perhaps might have next time to know that you've got loads of time, you know, just relax, take three hours if you need three hours, um, which is what I ended up needing, um, and you'll, you'll easily get to the end. Um, so there's a couple of little projects I'd love to try and do one day in the future. One is to go back to the UK and, and try and string together a, a running adventure from, from the very top of Scotland, John O'Groats, down to the very southwestern tip of England, Land's End. Land's End. That's quite a fun geographical challenge. I guess I'm more attuned to these types of challenges where you just have to try and get yourself from an interesting place to another interesting place without necessarily it needing to be a race, um, but it just being an opportunity to go and explore. And if I can find a way to make that, uh, you know, a family adventure, then then that would be really fantastic. So it's not uh, necessarily, you know, me just uh, spending six months running in the dark to get ready for some race that I go and do on my own. Um, so uh, we'll see. But at the moment, I'm actually focused most of all on trying to help Robin I was going to um, say this is going to ready to finish on, yeah. the film that he's been making uh, about last year's race, which uh, we're all really looking forward to seeing because I think what we're really passionate about those of us that have been filming this race a few times over the years is just trying to communicate this challenge to people outside of Hong Kong so people can better understand just some of the community that exists here, but also just the scenery that exists here because this film i think will be a fantastic way to just help especially after the last few years here um just reset a little bit of the international visuals of what's been coming out of this city so um we're quite excited to try and finish this and then um you know he's done some fantastic work and got some really great footage and i think for the first time really got to the bottom of of what this challenge is all about because it's not just the event footage, it's all the stories that go into the preparation and the, the, the post-mortems and so on, and the characters, like you said before, um, who have made this event so special in the past, and I'm sure will continue to make it such a special event in the future. And ultimately is the difference between people just running from point A to point B and people running in a way that makes you kind of, for some reason, care about them. Yeah, it's absolutely all about those individual stories. And last year had some incredible ones, which we obviously interviewed a few last year. And I recommend anyone to go and listen back to like hearing about Solomon's um, uh, effort last year and the pain and suffering he went through. Uh, but I, I mean, we were blown away by some of the one this year, but yours, Richard, seeing you like go onto that ferry looking like a broken man and then coming off and just uh, uh, and pulling off an uh, unbelievable result was just a it was a besides a sight to behold and and just so inspiring mate like honestly really really inspiring for so many people that would have been following and that are going to listen to this now um and so yeah really thankful for that and very excited to see um robin lees and obviously he's uh, it was um the breaking 60 which is the first documentary that was ever done in the four trails does it have a working title that can be shared at the moment for for robin's um 
uh, latest one from the 10th edition, or is it uh, still sort of like TBC? You'll have to interview him, Scott. I couldn't possibly uh, we, steal his thunder on that. We, we will <laughs> definitely drag him on. We'll definitely drag him on. Um, because uh, yeah, I know that there's plans for it to. We'd love to be able to see it in some of the um, uh, some of the sort of major uh, outdoor film festivals would be fantastic. I'm, I'm sure that it will be able to um, to get based on previous uh, footage. It will be able to get some awards there. So we, we'd love to see that. But Richard, really appreciate you making the time and your recovery week afterwards. Congratulations once again. And um, and yeah, thanks for supporting this event for all the years and then coming and turning from one side of the camera to the other and inspiring us all. Hey, thank you so much. It was a total pleasure. Thanks very much. Or tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Hey, Rick. How you doing? Good, Scott. How you doing? I'm very well. I'm very well. It's um, uh, it, it's been like almost ten days since the uh, since the four trails now, um, and so yeah, we've had a chance to to speak to a couple of the competitors, but um. But yeah, obviously that conversation with uh, with Mister with Mister Richard Kimber was um, what what an impressive guy, huh? Yeah, I mean, still really just digesting all that went down over those few days. Um, we've been chatting with Elliot and listening back to that chat you had with Richard. But yeah, what an amazing uh, what an amazing event yet again. Yet again, they 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 pulled it off, and um, and the athletes pulled it off as well. Um, I mean, I think that you have to kind of uh, yeah like. Chung just blew everyone away. I think probably to expectations, right? I think like last year when he didn't compete, we, we, we thought that he would be the only one to be able to break 50 um, and Jackie surprised us all. Um, but yeah, he came out this year and uh, like dot watching, he actually, although he ended up finishing it in, in fact, I don't think it was the fastest time on the Mac. I think Joseph just, I think it's like 13 and a half hours, but Joseph, obviously it was a staggered start. But um, but yeah, he, he like having done the Hong Kong 100 just one week before and doing a sub 11 hours there and just um, on his own, like under virtual conditions and then to come out and uh, I think he just took it easy to begin with. Yeah, I mean, we all know what an incredible athlete he is, but I think there was a real real case of sort of managing or even misleading expectations there right like you'd been chatting with Ryan who'd said he was very much treating it just as a kind of like a fun run a bit of a personal challenge we you know he'd never run I think he'd, the furthest he'd run was half the distance so Andre wasn't wasn't sure quite how he'd perform you know over over a couple of days and then as we as we said you know was he overtrained he'd, he'd done the 50k the 100k in the weeks before but I mean just yeah what an incredible performance on the day Oh, it's so good, so good to watch, and um, and he's just one of these like epic runners that just he, he like you see videos of him running, and he's just so fluid and just so effortless, and also just like such low body fat, so fit, so strong, um, and yeah, so he he cruised through the um, the Hong Kong Trail, and then he just smashed the Wilson. Like I think he did the Wilson in sort of twelve and a half hours, which um, which is like. It is really fast. I mean, obviously, I think um, Stone did a FKT on it in, in in ten hours, but to do it in sort of twelve, twelve and a half hours as part of the challenge, and he just sort of cruised through it. It, it was interesting hearing from from Richard talk about how he focused. Like everyone hates the Wilson in this because actually it isn't the 
it's got beautiful parts of the trail but there's there's big sections of it which there's lots of road it's pretty tricky and um um and he made it his point of just loving that part of the trail and i think that's kind of um uh yeah i think that, that's kind of like a crux of it really i mean obviously the the hong kong trail at night i think everyone complained but um uh yeah they, they were all suffered from pretty um tough weather as well um the uh yeah the sort of rain and uh um and and pretty cold nights um but yeah i think the um uh, uh, there were obviously i think my ank we'd had our eye on uh, quite quite a bit and he he took a couple of tumbles i mean he got off to a, a decent start he sort of did the mac in 16 hours um which is uh it's probably not as fast as you probably need to be, but you can definitely survive in, in, in that. I mean, there's an 18-hour cutoff for a reason. Um, but uh, but yeah, he got um, uh, a couple of issues on the Wilson and just um, uh, and yeah, hurt, hurt his knee. Could no longer run downhill. Um, I think the same happened happened to Tony as well. I think he got knee troubles on the on the Wilson um, and had to uh, had to pull out. Um, Kimmy had a really interesting story. So obviously, um, Tony and, and Kimmy are a, are, are a couple, but um, Kimmy ha- about a week before um, got called up because she's joining the um, the fire service and got called up for like a mandatory session with the fire service on the third day of Chinese New Year. So she started, but she always knew that she was probably going to have to um, ha- have to pull out. So at the end of the Wilson, she. Um, yeah, she she decided to to retire, um, and yeah, the other one that we'd sort of like been keeping our eye on that that, that wasn't able to finish was Virginie, who was her, her third year now, um, and I mean by the sounds of it, she'd like trained, she looked in incredible shape. Um, she had a new coach, and but it's it's one of those things it just didn't seem to happen for her on the day and like she was just and I saw videos of her she's like oh I'm just a lot slower than I was expecting to be and um and I and she was complaining on the Wilson that her heart rate uh, once she got towards the end of the Wilson that um she was having troubles with her heart rate going really high and if you're uh if you're kind of 38 hours in and your heart rate is spiking that's probably not a not a very a very good sign um I think that's it right I mean there's there's that's what makes the challenge so interesting there's just no sure thing right it's, it's easy to look back now and go obviously Chung beat the record and, and clearly he's the only one who could have done it but if he'd blown up halfway we'd all have gone well yeah of course because he's never run further than 100 miles yeah um and that's it's just it's just such a fascinating um experiment almost in in what's possible on those trails like we still don't know what the optimum way of running it is you know is it better to go out hard and fast someone like Chung who just you know was consistent all the way through still had trouble when he got to Lantau yeah. probably could have added you know, shaved off a couple more hours even if if that had gone differently for him it's uh it's just what keeps us coming back year after year yeah and I think that was um you know I was having a, a bit of a debate in a in a whatsapp running group in Singapore and my sort of uh, throughout the comment that I don't think anyone in the world could come to this challenge and in the first time beat that time that Chung had laid down of like just under 47 hours I, I don't think that anyone that is not doesn't know the course intimately um, rega- regardless who are like uh, you know Francois Dehaene or, or Killian like uh, um, they uh, and and got challenged that you know like um, yeah um, 
Roman said that he thinks that Francois de Haine could do it in 40 hours, no problem. Um, and obviously, this is someone who's run the Hong Kong 100 in like, has got the course record for that in nine and a half hours. Um, and speaking to Andre after, I think like that time can be beaten. I think that looking at how Chung like did it in the pace that he wasn't going out to race it. Um, he was going out just to enjoy it. And he's, there's a great YouTube video of him, like uh, um, Ryan having a chat with him about it. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think he, he came out with the intention of like laying down a record time. He came out with an intention to, to finish and to do his best. And if he, he got the best time, then so be it. Um, but, uh, but it would be a sight to behold for, imagine Killian Chung and, uh, and Francois Dehaene rocking up at Tunmun to take it on. Uh, what, what, um, and my argument is that although these guys are just like so proficient and running technical trails in the mountains, running stairs in Hong Kong for 300 kilometers is just a different beast. Um, and although not as technical, it is definitely challenging in its own way and different muscle groups and different um, running styles. And, um, and these, uh, and the domestic athletes definitely have an advantage to be able to train on these, these, uh, this course day in, day out. And um, I think it's going to prove out once we start to get more international people come in for the event. Um, but of course, you know, with it being Andre's event, it's only going to get harder each year, right? So... Yeah, you know the international talent might arrive. What's what's he got in store for them next year and the year after? Yeah, well, I mean that run down from the peak is just brutal. I mean, you, I think Elliot ended up walking down backwards, didn't he? Like Richard was Richard walking, too, yeah. yeah, Richard walking down backwards. Like that is a horrible steep road after you've got two hundred and thirty k in the legs. That's a that's a cruel little addition. But um, it's interesting. Like Richard was just so supremely positive wasn't he he's just like uh it's unbelievable how he kept this and it's kind of made me think like it's a really good mindset to go into any challenge with like and rather than putting the pressure on getting these like getting to this point by this time and just more focus of just enjoying yourself um yeah and it's easier said than done right i think a lot you know everyone goes into a challenge like that because they want to do it it's, it's all voluntary but to just maintain that throughout you know, and then and basically, he said the only moment where he wasn't able to maintain it was when he was effectively hypothermic yeah. coming off the peak. I mean, I think I think you can kind of you might just allow that. Um, yeah, but I mean, even talking to Elliot too. I mean, he said he'd sign up again in a heartbeat. Um, he just loved his time out there, despite how hard it was. Um, and I was just asking him what what tips he had for for other people. And his his best advice, he said, was to not think about it as a two hundred ninety eight kilometer challenge but instead think of it as 60 to 70 hours on your feet. Yeah. And he said, just mentally, that makes a massive difference. Yeah. You know, you know what you're in for. There's a clear end in sight. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure he'll be back. You know, he's only got to shave off, what, two or three hours to, to finish. Which is pretty much him double backing on, on Patsin Leng. Yeah, on, on the Wilson, um, the second trail at night, it crosses... Probably one of the toughest parts of uh, of Hong Kong. Like it's, um, I think there's like eight or nine peaks or something that um, that run along the Patsin Leng Ridge, and it's a pretty tricky trail in terms of. Have you run it before, Rick? You yeah, have, yeah. yeah. And, and there's like there's uh, there's two there's two trails that kind of run parallel along the ridge, um, and at night in sort of wind and rain and mist, uh, and if you're not 
concentrating and I mean I actually first year I got lost getting up to the Pats in Leng Ridge um at night and so even if you train it in day it doesn't really help and so yeah he stopped changed his headlamp and then uh and then packs up off in the wrong direction yeah. <laughs> I think he did he do an extra 6k or something I mean an extra 6k is probably not you know in the big scheme of things it's not crazy um oh, but it's so demoralizing it's demoralizing and it's just and uh, and doing 6k at that point where it's just up and down up and down and it just must have been weighing on his mind for the rest of the course ah oh, but you know what if this has caused me to push too hard at that point and maybe um yeah maybe hurt his attempt to be able to finish but um which arguably you know it might have hurt his attempt to finish because he was that close to getting 60 hours but but he'll be back um, but someone that did finish you have to mention is Man Yi like what uh, fastest Hong Kong woman ever to um, ever to, to compl- ever to finish um, uh, after Nikki Han um, I think Nikki's Scottish um, uh, but obviously been in Hong Kong for many many years but yeah it's great to see Man Yi who took a year out and uh, and came back and um, and yeah I think that it's going to be a difficult time to beat of just under 58 hours for her um, that she laid down um but yeah not, another year in the books um and i think that um yeah the the event goes from strength to strength we've got um robin lee there's who's uh whose documentary is coming out soon as well um what was based on the 10th edition um i'm excited to to see that and i think more than anything Hong Kong's going through a rough, rough time at the moment. I mean, just this week, it's just getting like worse and worse with, with kind of like restrictions and lockdowns and Omicron running rife. Um, and in the sort of like global community, like it, it's, it's getting a bit of a bad rep right now. Seeing this movie of the, the delights and beauty of Hong Kong is exactly the, and this event is exactly the shot in the arm that the city kind of needs. So, everyone to remember what an incredible incredible place it is yeah i mean that's it you and i both know lots of people who've made the decision to leave and um but it is it, it is just that wonderful reminder of how special it is you know just that um and and that not just that you know not just scenically but that community and what you know the, the scene that's grown up there and, and what andre's done to contribute to it is just um it's just amazing but yeah it'll be interesting with that you know, Robin was behind the breaking 60 at the time when, you know, we all thought breaking 60 hours was, if not impossible, just unbelievably um, impressive when it was done. And then Jackie went under 50. Chung's now gone under 48. There isn't really another obvious hour milestone to beat, um, but I'm sure they're going to keep coming back and trying. And as you say, Andre's going to keep on making it harder as well. Um but yeah, another year in the books. Um, yeah, good to good to record again, Rick. Well, um, we've got a couple of uh, lined up, so we'll get a little bit more consistent uh, this year. But um, but yeah, it was a f- fantastic follow, and, and look forward to you chatting with you again soon. Yeah, definitely. Talk soon, Scott. Cheers. Tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad.